The birthday boys are back. Hello and welcome to the pod, people. Uh, one year birthday spectacular. Season finale. Part blau, two blau, season blau. finale. Bop, bop, bop. I'm thing one, Matisse Van Rossum. And I'm thing number two, Ben Sheets. And it's time to talk about the legacy of John Carpenter's The Thing before and after. We're starting off tonight with our review of the film that started it all, so to speak. The 1951 film The Thing from Another World, produced by Howard Hawks and directed by uh, Christian Nyby, I believe. Arguably directed by Howard Hawks. Yes, There's been I was a reading lot about of that too. Controversy. Not well, I don't know if you could even call it controversy, but uncertainty about who actually directed this movie. One of the big things is you have to look at it in context. In the 50s, horror films were and sci-fi films were looked down on as genre flicks and it was looked at as kind of like a faux pas for bigger auteur directors to do genre flicks. Often, if they did them, they would uh, ghost direct them. And yeah, Christian Nyby was like Howard Hawks' protege in those days. And he was I mean, uh, Howard Hawks' editor. Obviously, Howard Hawks was one of the biggest names in Hollywood at that point. So yeah, there's there's a lot of debate about who really directed this film. Um, even from people who worked on it, some say that. Howard Hawks directed all but one scene, um, and then other people say that no, like Howard Hawks stood on the sidelines and gave advice, but it was directed by Christian Nyby. Yeah. Who really knows? I mean, Howard Hawks's stylistic influences are all over this, you know, like a lot of overlapping dialogue, a lot of shots where tons of people are in the shot yeah. at one time, you know? But, I mean, that's one of those things where that's not even definitive considering Christian Nyby's long time working with Howard Hawks up to this point. Like, Howard Hawks was obviously one of the men that he idolized most, so it would make sense for his style to imitate that of his mentor. You know, there, it's it's still really up for debate. We'll probably never know. Howard Hawks and Christian Nyby are both dead and so are most of the people who worked on this movie. It is an adaptation, just like John Carpenter's version, of uh, the uh, John Campbell novel, or novella, I should say, uh, Who Goes There, which uh, right after we recorded our last episode, I actually read uh, just out of curiosity because it's only like 200 pages. And... Um, I was surprised to see that John Carpenter's thing is much more loyal to the source material than this movie is. Hmm. It's still relatively similar in plot, but uh, some key differences in The Thing from Another World uh, is it takes place in the North Pole rather than the South Pole. Um, the protagonists are uh, Air Force soldiers, not scientists, and the monster is uh, Carrot Frankenstein. Yeah, basically. Instead of Lovecraftian amalgamation of flesh and gore and abomination, which yeah. is considerably less effective in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's definitely aged poorly. Um, That's the weird thing to me. I've always heard really, really good things about this movie, and it's widely considered one of the best uh, sci-fi horror films of the 50s, if not the best, but I didn't like this movie all that much. Me either. I think it's just aged poorly, because the thing is, I think if you look at it in context of where the genre of that style of films were, uh, it was kind of one of the first of its kind, and it kind of started the boom of alien invasion movies as a genre. Because this came out in, what, 1951? 51, yeah. Which was very early in the 50s, and it kind of kicked that off. You could see the influence of this movie and you know, a ton of other movies, whether it's 
them invasion of the body snatchers or well invasion of the body snatchers came out like three years after this movie and it's a much much better oh absolutely like i really like the 50s invasions of or uh, invasion of the body snatchers and the fact that in a lot of people's eyes this movie eclipses that one as like the quintessential sci-fi film of the 50s Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I found this movie really boring. I think that was my biggest problem with it. And I don't even have a problem with Slow Burn, you know? But just especially in comparison to John Carpenter's version, like, so little happens in this movie. You have more bodies and fewer people die. Yeah. In a lot of ways, this movie is cerebral, but the concept isn't even that complex. Well, yeah, the the monster doesn't even imitate people. It it's just the same the whole time, and it totally removes all of that paranoia and the the question of oh, who is the thing? You know, are we safe with these people who are in the room with us? And this is just a big carrot man, and the only question is ever where's he at? Yeah, and like. That's every horror movie. Where's the monster at? Yeah. It's just not as interesting at all. Like, that entire cerebral element is just gone. And I don't know why, either. Because even in Who Goes There, which was written in 1938, the the creature perfectly imitates human beings. And it can read minds, so it can more perfectly imitate the people that it absorbs. Like, in that sense, it's John Carpenter's version is very true to the novella. And the decision to not do that in The Thing from Another World is just, is really confusing to me. Yeah, I feel like it was just kind of boring throughout, honestly. And I, I think that's mostly because it's just aged poorly. Um, I think at the time... It would have been more revolutionary. I think a lot of people online give this movie more forgiveness because of its age. But I don't think that's necessarily the way you should go about, you know, reviewing movies. No, not at all. I'll refer again to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The 50s version is excellent. The 70s remake is also excellent. They're different, but they both capture the same ethos and the 70s remake is just like a progression of what the 50s one did so well whereas you look at the thing from another world versus john carpenter's film like the gap is enormous yeah i like i i I'm not the pers- the kind of person who hates on old movies because they're old. You know, there's plenty of fantastic movies from that era and before even, you know? And this movie just did not do it for me on almost any level. No, me either. There is a couple of set pieces that worked pretty well. The biggest one being when the Carrot Frankenstein person... And they have kerosene, and they throw <laughs> kerosene on him and light him on fire. I thought that was pretty um, fun. That scene I, I was did like that. chaos, and I loved it. They had a lot of fire in that scene. I, I thought it was really goofy, uh, which is why I enjoyed it so much. Because the monster just smashes through the door, and immediately someone lights him on fire and then somebody else just throws a massive bucket of kerosene on him and the whole room just goes up and then they just keep throwing buckets of fire on it and it's just like that poor monster just like stumbles into the room and is immediately lit on fire it's really funny i liked that a lot i also will say that i enjoyed the discovery of the ship somewhat when they go out and you know they do the thing where they try to figure out its dimensions and they all stand around its silhouette and realize it's a perfect circle so that's how they know we we got us a flying saucer here uh and then well after that what they do is pretty dumb when they try to melt the ice with thermite and it just blows the fuck out of the ship yeah um but i i liked that scene okay 
I also enjoy that uh, while most of the characters are soldiers, you know, following protocol and, you know, reporting to their superiors and stuff, they have allowed a reporter to come along with them. So you've got a bit of that dynamic with, uh, you know, he wants to get his, his scoop, his good story, and the military is like, no, we have to follow procedure. And you've also got the doctor, the scientist man, who wants to study it. Although I think he's kind of an annoying character. Well, honestly, that's one of the things that was the most frustrating to me is I think there's a lot of really interesting characters in this movie. The problem is there's way too many characters. So it's easy to get overwhelmed by all all of the air force boys look the same i could not differentiate any of the characters i i could tell the reporter apart because he was balding and i could tell the doctor apart because he had a little mustache and that's it everybody else looked the same and there's like 20 some odd characters except for the two women who do nothing yeah just token we need some women in here so here's a couple of ladies one of them is the love interest of somebody (laughs) that's it yeah it was the 50s uh can't expect anything too progressive i guess it's well no progressive enough that they they had them in there to begin with but yeah i i just wish there were less characters because it's impressive the staging of all these characters and having, you know, a dialogue scene where there's 32 heads in a shot and keeping it interesting with something like that. That being said, like that doesn't work for the whole movie. No. And that's the thing. It's so much of the movie is, are these shots with a super impressive amount of people blocked into these shots it must have been a nightmare and in these scenes yeah when all those characters aren't doing anything yeah it it flattens out the the tension any sort of tension in the movie i i liked the scene too where they find the the severed arm of the creature and they examine it and the doctor starts like conjecturing what it is that being said, what it is is much less interesting than what it is in the novella or John Carpenter's film. It's just a plant man that needs blood to grow instead of water. I mean, you get some interesting stuff with the doctor, like secretly harvesting some of the seeds and using like refrigerated blood to try to grow more of the creature to see if he can, but... That also doesn't have any payoff. I was expecting that at some point, like, they start growing faster than he anticipates, and then there's, like, more monsters running around than just the one. But no, after they kill the one monster, they just burn his little pods, and there's just no payoff to that. Like, they set up some interesting things, but none of it really pays off all that well. I I was interested when I read Who Goes There to see that there were 37 characters. There were 37 people at this research base. In that sense, the, the 50s version was kind of true to the novella, having a lot more people. But, you know, once again in the book, like over half of the characters are unnamed and don't do anything and they even have the the blood testing scene from the John Carpenter movie in the novella but it's much less exciting because even though 14 of the 37 people are actually things they don't all like attack or anything they just get their blood tested one at a time and whenever they figure out that one of them is an alien they just kill it right there so there, there's no sort of climax whatsoever. In that sense, hats off to John Carpenter for making it way more fucking interesting. Yeah, there's definitely an improvement in the consolidation of characters in the, the 82 version. The other problem I had with how the narrative went is I felt like they they wrapped it up too smoothly. I think the core concept of a plant monster 
kind of works in the ethos of, you know, the same type of idea. Yeah, but make it look more interesting. Don't just have it be Frankenstein-looking dude in a silver jumpsuit. It, just, it looks like a person. Even just expand on the idea more. Like, I think, I, I don't think they, they went enough in-depth in some of the things you could have done with that idea. You know, I I like that they added, you know, the seed stuff, but I feel like they still could have used it more effectively. I I feel like this movie did not have a lot of tension. No. Uh, you know, the crux of it where they the the monster was cutting off their their heating and was planning on destroying the generator. Yeah. Was kind of interesting. You know, the the monster was intelligent enough to know that these are the uh, the critical points of the base, and if he took them out, he could take out the rest of the base. I thought that was interesting, but it was wrapped up so smoothly. And it, it's much less exciting than the goal of the monster being to remain undetected and escape to civilization where it can spread, you know? It's like... It's not that interesting when there's no question of who the characters are, you know? Like, when they barricaded themselves in a room like they did multiple times in the movie, it's like, okay, well, I guess the monster is going to show up at some point, but that's not as scary as barricading yourself in a room and not knowing whether one of the people you're barricaded in with might be an alien abomination you know the alien doesn't even get that much screen time in in this movie you know like it it barely feels like a threat at all well yeah that's the thing it the the tension is so flat line throughout this movie it never feels like a true threat even when it's done it's undercut with sequences where like some guy tries to talk to it oh yeah that was so dumb the doctor the through the whole movie (laughs) just refuses to try to harm the monster because he thinks that surely we can communicate with it and it can share its alien knowledge with us culminating in a terribly goofy scene where they're about to electrocute it and the doctor runs right up to it and is like oh you're much wiser than us why don't you give us all of your knowledge we can be friends and just this protracted monologue and then plantenstein just whacks him off to the side yeah (laughs) and then gets reduced to ash by electricity and it's just oh okay it's over yep and then we got a nice two-minute monologue explaining what just happened by the the radio guy when they let the reporter give his uh report by radio and he basically just says tell everybody to watch the skies this threat might not be so easily defeated there might be more coming and so what yeah <laughs> like so what this it it doesn't seem like that much of a threat you know no you easily took it out right they know? didn't have a hard time you, j- okay so it can grow more of itself if it has enough supply of blood but it was relatively easily defeated you know if it lands anywhere in civilization just bring in the military and then no threat Whereas in the Carpenter film, if that thing makes it to civilization, we're fucked because it can perfectly disguise itself and absorb more and more people and then everybody's a thing, you know? It, uh, I'm, mm, this movie was not great. I've definitely seen worse, but maybe it's just having the context of the 80s version it's just so totally devoid of tension or interesting characters or, you know, horror that I can't say that I would run back to this movie anytime soon. Yeah, it was disappointing 
more than yeah anything. i i was expecting much more considering the legacy of the thing from another world i mean it obviously must have had an effect on john carpenter himself because you know he wanted to remake it and he even has the title sequence on tv in halloween when jamie lee curtis is babysitting the little girl they're watching the original thing yeah they, so i they mean use the exact same burn-in effect yeah in the 82 version so i mean this this must have had some positive effect on people to you know stand the test of time but for me, it's just so severely lacking in what John Carpenter does so well in his remake. And this is one of those very, very few examples where I think the remake is much stronger than the original. Absolutely. And like I said, it's even more... John Carpenter's remake is even more true to the source material than The Thing from Another World is. So, But even well, so, it's still... It's better than that novella, as far as I'm concerned. Well, uh, do you want to just throw a rating on that? Yeah, I, I unfortunately can't say that I have much to say about this movie, what hasn't been said. Overall, pretty boring and does not stand up compared to what followed it up. Um, it's pretty middle of the road for me, I'm going to say... A two and a half out of five pods, you know, it's okay, but totally lacking in the the tension and fear of John Carpenter's remake. Like I said before, I think this episode is going to be a shorter one because I don't have a ton to say about either one of these movies. I think this movie is important for uh, its for its time and you know, kind of jump starting the genre and the the movement of these type of movies in the 50s. But that being said, it does not hold up in 2018. I thought this movie was boring. It has way too many characters. I like some of the ideas of the carrot Frankenstein type of monster, but I don't think it was done super well. I'm going to give this a two out of five pods. I think it's... An important movie, but it's not a required viewing or anything. Just watch the 82 version. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. It's, uh, you're not missing anything by not watching this movie, you know, and now I know that because it's always been on my list. That'll give The Thing from Another World an average of 2.3 out of 5 pods. <laughs> And now let's move on to post-John Carpenter thing. And we're going to talk about the 2011 prequel slash soft reboot, also confusingly called The Thing, uh, directed by, uh, I believe, a Norwegian filmmaker, Matthias von Heiningen. And this film details the events just prior to those of the 82 version of the thing. Uh, it centers around the Norwegian camp um, that we see bits and pieces of the aftermath of in John Carpenter's version. Yeah. Um, Fun fact, they were originally going to name it something else, but they couldn't think of any good name for a prequel really like a subtitle they couldn't think of anything so they just called it the thing i again? mean what do you think would be a good subtitle for it the first thing the thing the awakening literally anything any fucking corny ass the awake thing the awake thing <laughs> Uh, the the thing the beginning literally fucking anything i am so goddamn fed up with this bullshit trend enter of, the thing of naming movies and video games the same exact goddamn thing as prior incarnations it's so fucking confusing 
amazing. They're doing it again with this goddamn Halloween remake that we're going to talk about later this month. It's just fucking Halloween again. I mean, they did it with The Predator, too. Well, like at least they, just... they at least they added the. It went from predator to the predator. No, I agree. It's still fucking obnoxious. It's still goddamn fucking obnoxious. I hate it. Even with fucking video games like Doom. I love the new Doom, but it has the same name as another goddamn game. Name it something fucking different to distinguish so people don't have to fucking specify the year it came out to distinguish it from the other movie okay i'm sorry rant over <laughs> it's true though it's done all it's the time it's so now. frustrating nowadays got a war yeah don't don't even get yeah. me started so this film stars uh mary elizabeth winstead who uh is an actress that i generally enjoy quite well we talked about her performance in 10 cloverfield lane earlier this year she's fantastic in season three of fargo uh, I don't even think she does a terrible job in this movie with what she's working with, but the problem is that what she's working with. The problem is the, what the material she's, working with. she's yeah. working with. The problem is that none of the characters in this movie are interesting at all. Oh, Joel Edgerton is in this too. Uh, I always forget that. He's yeah. arguably one of the most forgettable characters in this movie, and once again, he's a good actor. So, you know, my biggest problem with this movie is that there's no reason for it at all. I don't think that what exactly happened at the Norwegian camp before uh, the thing 1982. And see, I'm going to have to keep doing that because of this stupid fucking movie. Um, I, I don't think those events need explanation their ambiguity at the beginning of the thing 1982 is enough to know that something horrible happened here i like that they didn't just straight up remake the 82 thing um, in terms think... of in terms of what happens in the movie they don't but the ethos is almost identical but handled much worse in this movie yes but I'm I'm glad they at least tried to do something slightly different. In terms of structure, it's somewhat similar, but they're not just remaking the thing. No, and it's they, not, you know, it's not they the even same admit story. That, which is, you know, I think one of the best things about this movie, if we're going to start off, you know, on somewhat positive notes, I, I have to give it a little bit of props for not just completely rehashing a hundred percent i thought the uh relationship of the crew with mary elizabeth winstead being this archaeologist who kind of gets ignored by these uh sci norwegian scientists because she she's the outsider of the group and she's a woman yeah i mean that's what it mostly feels like i actually found that pretty frustrating just because like, they go out of their way to bring her in on this discovery because they need a good paleontologist, one who has worked on Arctic digs and stuff, you know. And then any time that she brings any discovery to them, they just brush it off completely. They even tell one of the characters even tells her at one point, you're not here to think. <laughs> what? Excuse yeah. me? A, a scientist that you brought in for an alien discovery, the first alien discovery, is not there to think? What is she there to do? The dialogue was kind of a mess, for sure. Well, um, and see, the thing is, like, all of almost all of these characters, aside from Mary Elizabeth Winstead, are mostly interchangeable. Whereas in John Carpenter's version... All of the characters are distinct. Some are more important than others, but they all have their own distinct personalities. They all feel like different people. You know, there's there's dynamic between them. Whereas in this movie, it's just like, okay, you have one female character. There's another woman who dies relatively early on. You have one main female character, 
And then once again, all of these interchangeable Norwegian blokes, you know? Well, yeah, that's the thing. John Carpenter's movie uh, uses a lot of archetypal characters, you know, like characters that could be summed up pretty easily. But I think it works to its benefit in comparison to something like this, where the archetype is just scientist. Yes. And it's used for about half the cast, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. Adebisi from Oz is in this. Uh, he does nothing. He does absolutely nothing. Um, in Oz, he's this like super scary prisoner who always wears his hat like absurdly low off of his head like it looks like it there's no way it should be <laughs> staying on its head the only reason he's distinguishable in this movie is because he's the only black character yeah. he is like the definition of horror movie token black guy yeah it's like we need slight diversity bring in any black dude well I will say I I'm glad they didn't do the token first death with him. Well, they, yeah, he's not the first. It's to kind die, of a bait and switch, though, in a way, because uh, he's driving this helicopter, or in the passenger of this helicopter, and in the back of the helicopter, it's revealed that. The thing is back there causing havoc. You know, he transforms in the back. The helicopter just goes down behind a mountain. We never see it crash or anything, but it's assumed that, you know, it crashes because... Because the thing. It, it goes in like, yeah, it circles down in a dramatic fashion. And the thing is you know, transformed in the back of the helicopter. So, you know, that's, that's a really excellent segue into one of my larger problems with this film is that for a, a direct prequel, the thing does not, uh, adhere to the same behavioral rules as it does in John Carpenter's in John Carpenter's the thing only attacks when it's the most opportune moment or when it is threatened or discovered because its goal is to escape and make it to civilization where it can begin taking over the entire world population. Whereas in this movie, the thing transforms and attacks just because it's a horror movie and someone needs to die. Yeah. The helicopter is a great example. Yeah, I will say it did catch me off guard multiple times in this movie where I thought it was going to be one character and then it was a different character they, they that do some, transforms. They do some decent bait-and-switch stuff. Once again in the helicopter, the reason they're flying away is because one of the guys who saw like his friend get killed is having like a nervous breakdown, so they're going to take him to the coast to like a medical facility. The first time you watch it, you assume that he is the one who's the thing because he's behaving strangely. And then they bait-and-switch it, and it's the other dude who's going with them but that would have been the perfect opportunity for the thing to escape yeah to just bide its time ride on the helicopter get back to the mainland start doing its thing no pun intended but for some reason it decides to transform right as the helicopter's taking off why would it do that because they needed something to happen they needed the monster to appear and wreak havoc for reasons you know yeah well that's the that's kind of the re reoccurring theme with a lot of these bait and switches because it happens multiple times in the movie and like it catches you off guard but it doesn't really make any narrative sense i think part of the reason it catches you off guard is because it doesn't make any narrative sense yeah definitely it's because there's no reason for the thing to attack at that time so when it does decide to transform it catches you by surprise because you're like oh what what why is this happening another problem i have with it is that despite the fact that it is still the same monster and, you know, it can imitate people. There's very little actual conjecture about, oh, 
uh, or among the characters, I should say, who is the thing. Whereas that's the entire point of the 82 version is trying to figure out who is and who isn't infected. In this movie, a lot of times, like, it's just people running and hiding from this horrible monster that's trying to hunt them down. And once again, that seems out of character for the thing. You know, it shouldn't be transforming and trying to hunt down these people. It should be trying to remain undetected and escape. Yeah, it kind of misses the kind of paranoia yeah. of the 82 version. I don't necessarily mind that it's trying to do something else. Um, it's definitely trying to go for a schlockier, more, more action-packed kind of thing. One of my problems with that, though, is the action isn't as well done, I guess. Well, first off, the the effects are yeah. much worse than the 82 version. Yeah. Um, there are moments where, you know, you do have some interesting practicals. And at times, I didn't even think the CGI, CGI was all that bad, but the majority of the CGI is very bad. Yeah, I, I, maybe the best instance of practicals is after they kill its alien form that escapes from the block of ice and they're doing the autopsy on it. Like, that's obviously a, a large practical when they're cutting it open. Like, that stuff looks pretty good, but also, you know, it's inert. It's not supposed to be mobile, so they can get away with that better. One of the things that I find most frustrating in that same vein is that online there are some really fucking cool videos of some of the practicals that they were originally working on for this movie. It was originally going to be much more practical heavy than it ended up being and then at a certain point the studio decided that it wasn't worth the money and put the kibosh on that and went largely cg and if you go and watch those behind the scenes videos and see some of the animatronics and puppets and stuff they're working on like that shit was fucking cool it would have been way way more awesome if they had actually been able to go with some of that stuff but the cg is really not very good in this well, some of it some of it is passable i think the worst point of the cg is anytime it was supposed to look human which is Be a lot though yeah well and that's the whole point of you know the thing transformations you know you going from human and taking pieces and, you know, elements of human form and distorting them. I thought the actual alien alien stuff looked pretty okay. It looked all right, but like... It just the, looks gross and uncanny valley. And right, the human stuff, mostly the faces, but considering that it's a monster that, like you said, goes from human to alien and vice versa, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of really nasty, uh, uncanny valley-looking CG effects that, especially in the context of the Carpenter film, is just, like, close to unforgivable, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, It looked kind of plasticky. It's a really weird stylistic choice. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of that, especially in the final confrontation with the monster when it gets back to its spaceship, which is another thing that I hate about the movie is that they go on the fucking spaceship. But when the monster is like pretty much completely transformed, like it's a an alien monstrosity, but it has the face of one of the scientists. Oh my god, that looks, looks so bad. so terrible. Yeah. Just straight trash, dude. Straight trash. Well, that's trash. the thing, you know, like, that element of it, like, took away from all the rest of the creature design that was legitimately creepy. Right. Like, the rest of the, the monster looked pretty good it's just that part of it looked so bad that i couldn't take any of it seriously yeah exactly in that same scene like once again on the spaceship that we don't need to be on that weird like 
Tetris machine. That weird, like, Tetris column of energy where it's just, like, these pixel blocks moving around and there's no explanation for what it is or what it does. I guess it's just supposed to be an alien thing, but it looks like Minecraft. It, it looks stylistically it, off. Yeah, it looks really, really dumb. The whole the whole final scene with them on the ship is just so frustrating to me. They yeah, did not need to go back to the ship. Now, I have one question for you. You saw this movie in theaters. I did. And I believe you were saying that you saw this before you saw the original. I believe that's true. I can't remember for sure. Do you think people who haven't seen the 82 version would get more out of this? I think so, because if my recollection is correct, and I did see this before the original... Um, I distinctly remember thinking this movie was pretty okay when I saw it in theaters. I definitely didn't love it, but I remember thinking that it was a solid film. Granted, that was in 2011, so I would have been newly 18, I guess. So my taste in film has changed a lot since then, but I've seen this movie three times now. This time and the last time I watched it, I thought it was trash. So I I don't know. I, I think it is much more forgivable if you haven't seen the original, but that is the question that you posed for yourself at the end of this last episode that without the context of John Carpenter's film, does this film hold up? Does it work? Uh, so I'll let you answer your own question. Yeah, now so I think it. weirdly, there's elements of it that do work, I think. Um, I think the the core, you know, shape-shifting monster concept, even though the, the human elements of the cg are bad i think if you hadn't seen the original and went into this not knowing what to expect you would get something out of it in addition i think some of the elements of paranoia that you know are really just ripped from the 82 version and not done quite as well would be more effective if you didn't see the 82 version that being said it still has a load of problems but i could see people coming away with this happier than i was at least yeah you know i think if i try to set the bias of the john carpenter film aside i think i can agree with that for the most part because this movie does copy enough of what worked about the 82 version that on its own without that for context it could you know work okay yeah it but the problem is like you said when you're looking at it through the lens of the 82 version it's just uh, a cheap imitation uh once again no pun intended but it does the same things, but worse, and it just leaves you wondering, like, why Why is this a thing? Instead of having the blood testing thing in this one, they do a different test where they determine that for some reason the thing cannot copy inorganic material so they check everybody's fillings in their teeth if they have fillings it means they're not the thing and i mean okay i guess but such a stupid addition though that pissed me off because it's like if that's the case the thing is getting rid of these people and then taking all of their clothes and wearing them well, right, and that was never a question in the John Carpenter film. Like, obviously, it's still wearing their clothes. How did it do that? Did it tenderly strip them naked before it killed them and then put their clothes back on? Like, what? And then at the end, after Joel Edgerton helps her blow up the ship, 
she discovers that he is actually the thing because his earring is missing. And she mentions it, and he touches the wrong ear to see if it's there, so she torches him. So not only is that, one, just dumb, that the thing could not grow flesh around an earring, and two, that it helped her blow up the ship and ensure that it wasn't going to escape, and then it turned out to be the thing. Yeah, it it's one of those... You'd, you know, think, it, you'd think it would have teamed up against her with the other thing on the ship, because it was just her and the two of them. Why did the Joel Edgerton thing help her out instead of just transforming and then both of the things killed the fuck out of her? It's that bait and switch thing from the rest of the movie that feels so cheap, you know? Like, the the thing follows no good internal logic in this movie. Because, you know, I would even forgive the Joel Edgerton thing if the thing was being more you know, low-key through the rest of the movie. Right. And undetectable. But the thing is, it doesn't do that throughout the rest of the movie. It just transforms on a whim half the time. Right. Just because they need scary monster at that moment. You know, like, when it fuses with the other guy and creates the two-faced monster that they find the corpse of in the original thing. Like, after that, for, like, ten minutes, that monster is just roaming around the base, like, hunting people, like a standard horror movie. It's like, that's not interesting for this movie. I want the threat to be unknown and mysterious and hidden. I don't just want to see these characters, like, running around and hiding in the kitchen like they the kids do in Jurassic Park from the velociraptors you know like that's just not interesting for a different movie in a different context with a a monster that has different rules okay but what makes the thing scary is that it can assume any shape and it can be anybody and can strike at any time that's what makes it scary that's where you need to pull your horror from like in john carpenter's version up until they get to the very end where almost no one's left and they're trying to find Wilford Brimley, the thing only attacks at specific times and they kill it almost immediately, but it usually takes at least one casualty with it, you know? Yeah. And then it goes back to being like, oh, fuck, who is the thing? Once it transforms and it's just a monster running around, then all of that tension is gone. Well, and I think that lack of internal logic strips a lot of this movie of its paranoia mm-hmm. because you know why feel paranoid when it's just gonna do what it does on a whim anyways right you know i feel like it doesn't earn that tension it feels it feels more like a mindless creature than like a, a calculating organism you know it it doesn't seem to have a plan, which I think is like we talked about in the last episode. Part of what makes the 82 version so good is because, yeah, it's a indescribable alien monstrosity, but it, it is intelligent. It's calculating. It has a plan. It has a goal. So there's, in a sense, a certain logic to it. And in this, it's just like, eh, whatever. We need monster. Here's monster, and that's just it's just not interesting. I was I was disappointed. Well, uh, do you want to jump into ratings? <laughs> I don't have a ton more to yeah. say about this movie, honestly. Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, like I said, I've seen this movie three times now, and maybe this will be the last fucking time I finally watch this dumb movie. Uh, three is too many times, but. You know, I do it for the eps. Um, I don't like this movie. Despite the few positive things it has working for it, I always walk out of it thinking, why? Why is this a thing? Why did this happen? Why did they feel the need to do this? Uh, It's an unnecessary prequel. It doesn't do enough different from its source material to make it special. 
um, and that's the most offensive thing about it. If it were a standalone, it might be more effective, but the context of John Carpenter's version makes this film redundant more than anything. I'm going to give it a two out of five pods. Yeah, well, I think if I didn't have the context of the 82 version, my rating would be a star to or a pot or two higher. Um, but having the 82 as a reference really impacts this movie in a bad way. Um, this movie is a mess. The lack of internal logic with the, uh, the monster itself is the biggest problem with it. I think it strips it a lot of a lot of its paranoia and really weakens the uh, tension of the movie. I think the effects are really stripped by the C- CG, um, especially the, the human CG stuff, which is really disappointing considering the the legacy of the 82 version uh, with practicals and whatnot. I thought Mary Elizabeth Winstead did a pretty good job, but she was the only real standout in the cast. Yeah, I, I was just disappointed more than anything you know, I'm glad that this movie didn't just do a straight remake, but I wish it did more new and interesting with the material rather than just kind of just repeat in for a slightly a, different way. For a prequel, it falls heavily into soft reboot. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I would agree. And the things it does differently, you know, the, the, the alien ship, stuff like that, I thought were some of the weakest points, too, which is really yeah. sad. This movie was a big disappointment. I would give this a one and a half out of five pods. Not good, folks. <laughs> yeah, not good. So that's an average of uh, 1.8 out of five pods for The Thing 2011. Before we totally shift gears, I had one more thing that I wanted to talk about in this dumb movie is how they sort of forget about the events that lead up to the thing until the post credit sequence where like one character just disappears at a certain point and then post credits they cut back to him in the radio room with his wrists and throat cut whose corpse they find in the thing, and another guy who mysteriously disappeared partway through the movie shows back up, and the dog runs out, and he starts shooting at the dog, and it's like, God damn it! for a prequel, you'd think that you would place more importance on, uh, you know, events of the movie that you're a prequel to. So that's, yeah. that's all I have in to my, say about In that my garbage. notes for... Uh the behind the scenes of this movie uh they talked about taking extensive stills from the norway station scene of the original so they could as accurately recreate the set as possible what a and, waste yeah and i was just thinking what a waste i would much rather have a non-accurate norway set with a better movie attached than you know something that's super accurate but hollow Yep. I don't know. Could not agree more. But with that, let's uh, transition. It's that time again. We're entering the Metacritic corner. You freaking bricks! Um, this week I have, uh, pulled two short uh, user reviews from Metacritic. Once again, because this movie is garbage, uh, I pulled positive reviews to see why people liked it so much. Um, We're going to start with one from uh, a user called The Red Zombie. To those people who say this is a remake, or a remake of a remake, have obviously never seen the John Carpenter version of this film. This is a prequel, people! And as prequels go, it's a pretty solid one at that. I can see that this movie will not win any awards, 
But I have to say that whatever flaws this movie had were small and insignificant to me. I really enjoyed watching this film, and I would recommend it to anyone who is a fan of the John Carpenter version. Seven out of ten. Oh my god. I I, when I we, would recommend this movie to people who have not seen the John Carpenter version, and that's it. Yeah, that's the thing. I When you started Metacritic Corner today, I thought you were going to do ones where they hadn't seen the original, and so I had no context. But the fact oh, that no. people that had seen the original liked this movie is baffling to me. Yeah, the fact that they had to point out that this was a prequel, like, yeah, I know. It still sucks. Still not a good movie. Okay, so on to the next one. This is from a user uh, called MadRicky97. And I will just preface this by saying that every single sentence in this review is punctuated with at least four exclamation marks. Hell yeah. One of the good prequel for me... Felt like the 80s. The, they render the Carpenter stylish way really similar in attitude and story development. Old school horror suspense movie that kept you on the edge of your seat. The kind I really liked. Gave it a nine, bought it on Blu-ray and watch it again and again with a big load of popcorn. Bye. <laughs> nine out of ten. <laughs> Was that a B-U-Y bye or a B-Y-E? No, uh, like a goodbye. <laughs> oh my god. Incredible. Legend. <laughs> Legendary. The need to sign off after that review. I respect the, the hustle. That's big dick energy. That is big dick energy right there. So Holy shit. It was a short one this week, but that'll bring us to the end of Metacritic Corner. All right, uh, next week, uh, we're getting back into uh, current horror films, and we're going to talk about a movie that we have been putting off. Sister Act 3. <laughs> yes, the long-anticipated Sister Act 3. Back in the habit. Star- <laughs> Starring Whoopi Goldberg. And the dinosaur from that movie that she was in with the dinosaur. Um, Now, we're going to be talking about The Nun, the latest installment of The Conjuring uh, Cinematic Universe. Um, Not looking forward to this. One hot bit. I wish this was a crossover with Sister Act. Yeah, you know, me too. Whoopi Goldberg goes... To a haunted uh, cathedral to teach some children how to sing soul and ends up get getting haunted by an ancient racist nun. <laughs> I've seen the, the goddamn preview for this movie so many fucking times. It has been before just about every movie I've seen in theaters for like the last three months. Did you hear about the the nun ad that was banned off of YouTube? Yeah, I think we talked about that yeah, actually for so. being too scary. And now anytime <laughs> you see it on the internet, they always preface it with this ad is too scary, <laughs> too spoopy for me. Um, yeah, so check back with us next week to hear our thoughts on The Nun. It's probably not going to be good, but, uh, we're dedicated to our craft, so we're gonna, we're gonna go see it. Um, if you like the show, be sure to take a few seconds out of your day to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you happen to get your podcasts on. Help us rise in the charts with your sweet, sweet words and star ratings. Um, follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod. Uh, check out our Letterboxd page, uh, letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod, where you can see a list of all the films we've talked about on the show, our average ratings, and uh, and links to those episodes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. And I'm at Mr. Sheets. 
Uh, and yeah, thank you for listening. This is the season one finale coming back at you next week, starting season two. Thank you to all of those who have stuck with us for a year and are continuing on this journey with us. And if you have not been there since the beginning, go back and check out our early episodes and fill yourself in. And uh, we're glad to have you on this spooky, scary skeleton train with us. Choo-choo! Yeah, in classic sequel fashion, all of season two will have a great subtitle, I'm sure. Oh, God, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) We'll see about that. Thank you for listening. And until next time, don't trust your friends or your neighbors. You never know who might be trying to eat you. Check your friends' feelings. (laughs) 